Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So dear friends, as we continue on our, our sermon series and our journey, uh, the life lessons from James, uh, I decided to skip a message I originally had in here, and I may or may not bring it eventually, but it didn't seem to, to be a message that needed to be there uh, in, in this sequence. And so I moved forward to the one that I was supposed to do next week, and it's interesting uh, that it did it this way because it kind of goes together better with the previous message anyway. And this message is entitled, Just One Little Sin. And I, I remember, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a movie guy. How many of you movie people in here? Love movies? Yeah, uh, I really, really like, um, s- some of them are my top five. And, and, and I have to tell you, and it, it might change a little bit here and there uh, as, I, as new ones come out, uh, but by and large, the same ones that have been there for years are still there. But Forrest Gump has got to be one of my favorites. Uh, and and it's, not, it, it's not because of the entertainment in it, although there is some of that. Uh, the irony of so many things that are in there. Uh, just blows my mind. You know, the things they're able to do, and they took moments in history and added him to them and, and, and in a stunning way. Uh, and I remember uh, after he got out of the Army, Forrest did, you know, he, he was a ping pong player, and so he got to go rep- represent the United States and China and play ping pong. And so while he was in China, all these uh, uh, manufacturers of ping pong equipment sent a bunch of stuff to his house, uh, and one of them was a paddle company, made ping pong paddles, and, uh, and they sent a $25,000 check, and all he had to do was say that his favorite paddle was their paddle. And, uh, you know, and Mama said to him, you know, it's just, it, it isn't, but it's just a little white lie. It won't hurt nobody. And I began to think about that, and we probably would giggle about that and laugh and maybe even agree with that. But the more I understand the Word of God, I don't think it's legalistic at all to say that little white lie does hurt that it's sinful, and it does hurt. It not only hurts people, it hurts the Savior that saved us because it isn't true. And so, friends, the enemy wants us to minimize these things. Now, I want, you to, I, I want to give a disclaimer, and I want to give you something this morning. I have no interest in standing here today and, and, and feel, like, feel like you're getting yelled at or you're getting spanked or you're being chastised. That is not my intent. In fact, I want you to see that you can overcome the little things, because they're important. And when you do that, that might, that might be the last little thing that keeps you to a full surrender to Christ. And what a difference that would make. And so it's interesting, as, as we look at the second chapter of James, scroll down, if you will, uh, to the 10th verse. And here James begins to talk about some things that were going on around him at the time. And he picks up by saying, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point. Did you grasp that? Whoever keeps 
all of the law, all of the commandments, all of the word of God, whoever keeps that completely but yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. That person is guilty of breaking all of it. See, society is going to tell you that isn't true because you're mostly good. In fact, here recently I have a complete, a, 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 a perfect example of that. Um, there was a young man uh, who committed a terrible, heinous crime of raping a young lady. And the judge didn't sentence him appropriately. He said, well, by and large, he's been a good boy his whole life and he comes from a good family. That does not absolve what he's done to the other family. And so, friends, I, I struggle with this in our judicial system. And it's clear that James is saying, wait a minute. <laughs> you, you can keep the law, the whole of the law, it, it, to the best of your ability, and yet if you stumble once, then you've broken all of it. It puts you in the status of guilty. For he who said, do not commit adultery, but also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. And a lot of other, uh, other versions are going to say the law of liberty because that's the correct translation. He says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful because mercy triumphs over judgment. Did you grasp that? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, we've misinterpreted that for a long time in the church. I'm going to bring that to your attention here in a few minutes. But friends, here's the deal. You see, people characteristically minimize sin. We just automatically do it. It's a characteristic of ours. It's like we, we, we like to think that because in our own judicial system, and even in our own family systems, you know, certain crimes, certain, you know, uh, transgressions, certain uh, thing, rules that are broken might carry a heavier, heavier penalty than those that are smaller. I, I, I agree with that. I think sometimes the punishment doesn't necessarily fit the crime. And I think that some parents, you know, go overboard with some of their punishment, and yet some parents uh, don't do enough. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> right? Uh, most parents that... Uh, my kids grew up around thought that I was a little harsh on my kids. Maybe I was at times. But you know what? Nobody taught me on how to do it. And so I did the best I could, the best I thought at the point. Would I go back and change some of those things? Sure. And some of the things I would never change. And I'll bet you there's not a person sitting out here that wouldn't go back and change some things if they could. It's a learning experience for a lot of us. No one taught us how to, how to be spouses. No one taught us how to be parents. You almost just have to do it. It's OJT, Amen. Right? But here's the thing, friends. In life, we want to minimize things that ought not be minimized. Again, it's just a little white lie. What does that mean? How about this one? But we're in love and we plan to get married. Well, that, you know, that huge department store chain, they're never going to miss this. Look, God knows we don't have any money to tithe. You see, friends, we can never realize the heinousness of sin unless we comprehend that our sins killed the Son of God. If there were no sin, 
he would have no reason to go to the cross, would he? Amen? Yeah? Have you thought about that before? How, guys, you're, you seem like you're lethargic today, don't be. Because I'll put my glasses on and find out who it is and come down and visit with you. And you know you don't want me to do that. Because I, here, here, here let's, see, let's see who it is. You know how some of you say to me, you are preaching right, right to me today. Have you, anybody ever said that to me? Yeah, it's not true. I don't think of somebody or look at somebody when I'm speaking. But, but when you're lethargic, I do want to, you know, make eye contact with you. Because that way, I know that you're not grasping. Okay? I can't see this, so I got to take it off. All right. So here's the thing. Our sins put Christ on the cross. They're what killed him because he had to be the sacrifice for us. Romans 5, 8, Paul says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I began to think about, so how serious then is just one little sin? According to Christ, it's pretty serious. He died for it. Does it matter how small it is? No. The answer is absolutely not. And so here's the thing. Just one little sin, point one, makes you a sinner. It doesn't matter what it is. Now, society is going to tell you that isn't true. Society is going to tell you that if it's a small sin or what they, what they consider to be a small sin, that's not really making you a sinner because you're by and large good, a good person no matter what. And I, that argument is made to Christians and to pastors over and over and over again. I can't believe that my child or so-and-so or my friend or my brother or my... Or I can't believe that they're going to go to hell. They're a good person. Says who? You? Society? It doesn't matter. Because God is the one who sets the principles. He's the one that sets the law. And He's the one that determines what, what's good and what is not. And either way, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all needed a Savior. Amen? So it won't matter how good they are. In fact, they can't be good until they're like God. 100%. You see, friends, this is the basic and true ideal that people don't grasp it. But for whatever reason, we always seem to want to dismiss certain things that they don't see as a big deal as not being sinful. The problem with that is that God doesn't dis dismiss it. God doesn't dismiss sin of any sort, of any status, big or small. In fact, He expects us to keep all of His law. All of it. Now, I have to tell you the truth, friends, as I go through here, that's not necessarily easy to do. It isn't for me anyway. Maybe some of you are better than that. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, in Leviticus 19.37 and Matthew 28, we have a conglomeration of verses that go together, and it says, keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them, for I am the Lord. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I don't know, Old and New Testament, when you put those together, how you can say that that's not what he's talking about. In both places, he said, I expect you to keep my commands, all of them. Does anybody in here really want to make the argument that God doesn't expect us to keep all his commands? They're the great suggestions. I don't think so. I, I'm not, I'm not going to tell him that. Well, I thought there were suggestions, God. Anybody want to tell him that? No, I'm not going to do it. Okay, so the basis for what we're talking about begins right here because, let's be honest, how many of us in church today actually know that we keep every single part of the laws and the commands of God? Could anybody in there really make that claim in that statement? Now, friends, I'm going to tell you something. I've known some people in my life that I thought were pretty darn strong Christians. I couldn't find a flaw in them anywhere. I'm sure God did, but I couldn't. 
And every single one of them would have said they weren't perfect. They hadn't arrived. And every single one of them struggled to keep every command in there. Every one of them. And for those of us who think we likely do, here's a question. Have you ever failed? Because, brother, sometimes I've crashed and burned heavily. Right? You identify with that, don't you? Okay? Now, you and I both know the answer to that if we're honest with, it, with ourselves and, more importantly, perhaps with God. Because when you're honest with God, <laughs> boy, don't you feel a little naked? Because I do. Another question. How many people do you think struggle to be honest with even themselves? See, most of the time we already know the answer on the evaluation of ourselves and how good we are. But here's what we'll do. We want somebody to tell us that it isn't true, that we're pretty good. And so we'll go find somebody who we think will do it. And that's not really being honest with ourselves now, is it? And here's the thing, if you won't be honest with yourself, then you won't be honest with God. You can't be. Lastly, did you know that God determines what the law is? Now, I don't like it, and I'm sure you don't either, because I would like to tweak the laws, at least a little. But I don't get the opportunity to do that, because God is God, and He determines the law. In fact, the Bible says he has handed it down from the very beginning. And because he's given us the law, he expects every single one of us to obey it completely, especially once we say, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit comes into me. Now, I have no choice but to follow all of it. Amen? I'm the only one who thinks that today. Guys, come on. This is Free Life Community Church. We're a little bit more boisterous than that. Right? So God expects us to keep all of His law. And here's, an, here, here's a revelation. <laughs> we do not have the right to decide. Now, society's going to tell you that you do. If there's any laws or commands out there that you don't think you should have to honor or obey, then you can choose at the moment which one it is. Okay? I know that because as a deputy sheriff, I've seen it over and over and over again. Where people... You, when we make a traffic stop or we, we go to a house for this or that, people automatically determine whether they have to obey our commands or not. It blows my mind. Trust me, friends, that you can be arrested for not following the lawful order of a law enforcement officer. I'm telling you right now. So what, if they tell you to do something, do it. Don't question it. Just do it. And then if you think it was wrong, then complain about it later. But don't do anything about it right then. You don't get, that, you don't get the right to choose that. Okay? But in somehow... Society has been teaching us that we can, you know. Um, ask any teacher in the classroom today if that's not true or not, okay? Because kids can determine whether they can uh, follow the rules or not. I had one kid in here, even in church one time, told me, you can't touch me. I said, guess again, I'm going to touch you. <laughs> Guaranteed. You might, that might work on your teachers. won't work on me. So, they, they, but they've been told that you can't. They've been told that they can make up things as they go, what they want to follow, what they know. And isn't it true that maybe we do with God a little bit? Kind of determine what we want to believe or what we want to admit to or what we want to uh, follow and obey or not? It just makes sense. You see, it isn't up to us to decide which of God's laws are important enough that we have to keep them. Yet that's exactly what many people in society are doing. In fact, I think it's even happened in the church. 
It isn't simply those who don't believe in God, but don't live the life of a Christian. It's within the church and an epidemic within those who claim to be followers of Christ as well. In fact, Matthew, uh, in, Jesus said in 20, uh, the 23rd, uh, 23rd, 21st verse, uh, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for the, you tied the mint and the dill and the cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, but neglected the others. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That's what he's telling them. And they're like, what? You mean I can't pick and choose which of God's laws I can follow? No, <laughs> you can't. And sometimes we don't know we're really doing it, I think. But here's, here's what I will tell you. If you are and you really don't know, God's going to open up your eyes and show you. Has anybody been there where God opened up your eyes and showed you? Yeah. And, and you know, and it, this is true in, in the church because here's what happens. Certain people are convicted of certain things. Have you ever seen that where, where one person in church is convicted of something, another person is not? I remember a number of years ago in the Western church, you couldn't watch television. You couldn't have one in your house. Anybody remember those days? You wouldn't, you wouldn't dance. No way, no how. Okay. Movies, you didn't go to those. Okay, these are things we didn't do. And you, and, and you didn't drink neither or smoke ever. Okay, now we haven't lifted smoking. You still can't do that. But everything else you can do. Now, was it wrong for us to have those rules? Probably, probably it was. But the fact is they were there. And, and, and here's the deal. There were people in the church that would say, wow, you should never do that, blah, blah, blah. And other people say, I don't see a problem with it. Because we're all, each of us is at a different level of our convictions based on the level of spirituality that we have. You understand? A newer Christian isn't going to quite grasp it when certain things are not good practice for a Christian to do because they don't know yet. But the idea here is that those of us who do know are experienced enough to gently come alongside them and try to help them, not chastise them, but try to help them into the next level because God will... Absolutely let them know that they're wrong. I guarantee you will. Don't you think? Because he did me. Am I the only one that God got a hold of and said, hey, look, you can be better than this. I expect more than that from you. Okay? Because that's, that's what God does. Okay? Now, I want to get into this scripture a little bit. You see, I think many people read this scripture and think that it doesn't apply to them. I don't think they think it applies to them. And let me tell you why. Because they equate the scribes and the Pharisees to pastors. So they could almost understand why, you know, Jesus is telling the pastors, you know, you guys are doing this, but you're not doing that, and you should be. Well, he's not talking to, he's not talking to pastors. Okay? Let me explain to you why. Because the priests would be considered pastors today, and he wasn't talking to priests. He's talking to scribes and Pharisees. So the scribes and the Pharisees, which would include all the Sanhedrin, including, um, you know, the Essenes and uh, uh, the uh, Sadducees as well, and interestingly, those people would be lay people today. They would be leaders in the church, board members, elders, whatever you want to call them, but they would be lay people in the church. Do you understand that? Okay, so he, he's talking to those people. And he made it clear that if you're a Christian or claim to be a Christian, then it's your responsibility to be just as deep in your spirituality as a pastor or a church leader. You have just as much responsibility. Now, are they going to be held accountable more than you? Yes and no. But on the basics of obeying God's commands, no. On the basis of obeying God's commands, all of us will be held accountable for either doing it or not. Do you understand that? Everybody, everybody get it? We're all, we're all accountable to that. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not. You're accountable because you said you're a Christian, because you accepted Jesus Christ. He expects something from you. 
And somehow, most people don't think that this scripture applies to them, and it absolutely does. All of us. Now, the Apostle John takes it a little bit further. He says that if you're a Christian, then you ought to act like it. Right? See, we use that phrase all the time. All the time. We don't use it as Christians. We use it in other things. I mean, if you, if you saw a teenager, you know, doing childish things, you would say, hey, look, you want to be a teenager? Act like it. You want to be an adult? Act like it. Right? If you want to be something or you aspire to something or you think you are something, then act like it, and maybe I'll give you the respect for being one. But until you do, I won't. How many times has someone said, you're a leader, act like it? Or you have no business being one. And isn't it true in Christianity? If you're a Christian, act like it. Shouldn't Christians act like Christians? Well, I, I, mm-hmm's and a yes, but I, guys, shouldn't Christians act like Christians? Oh, that's better. We're not there yet, but we're better. Christians ought to act like Christians, yeah? Okay, so, I mean, I don't think that's in dispute. Then act like it. In fact, Christians shouldn't be sinning at all. How many of you believe that Christians should not be sinning? Well, a few of you. I wonder, and I, I wonder, when I asked this, I thought, oh, I wonder what would happen if I did revival or spoke somehow to a different congregation anywhere in, in, in the, uh, you know, in the, in the, here in the city. What if I said, um, how many of you think that Christians should not be sinning at all? I wonder how many people would raise their hands in other congregations. I think people would have to think about it. I think people do think about it when you make that statement. Here's the deal, because if you're sinning, no matter how small the sin you think it is, then you don't belong to God. Notice I said continue. Big difference, okay? 1 John 2, 3 to 6, this is right out of the scripture, right out of 1 John. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Did you hear that? We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. For whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live just as Jesus did. Now, I don't know how you, you, you change the wording of that or the, or the interpretation or the meaning of it. I mean, there it is, laid right out. And somewhere, somewhere, somebody's going to say, oh, that's harsh. It doesn't really mean that. John said it just not very long before he died, okay? And he was the last disciple living. And he had some very infinite words to, to share with us. And he was urgent about his message. He said, listen, if you claim to love Christ, but you don't obey his commands, it doesn't matter what it is. You don't belong to him. Period. You can think you do all day, but that's not going to work. Others can say you do, but that's not going to work. Only if Christ says you are, does it work. And I, would you rather have the opinion of other people and yourself, or would you rather God decide? Now, I want to go by his standards, because then I know for sure. Amen? Okay? That's, it. that's the deal. Now, I know the argument. But Jesus loves everybody. Well, I didn't say he didn't. Neither does John say he didn't. He showed mercy toward everybody. Yes, he did. 
But he also did not allow sinfulness. Not anywhere that I can find. He didn't accept the sinfulness of humankind. In fact, he told every single sinner that he came across to do what? Stop sinning. Didn't he? Can you find anything different? Because I can't. Why? Because he and the Father were in complete agreement, and they always have been. Here's the translation. Loving and accepting people for being people doesn't mean we are to accept their sinfulness. Do you understand? Okay? That's clearly what Jesus is saying. In fact, it's just the opposite. Just as we said last week, and this goes even further. If we're willing to violate even one command, then we will likely be willing to break more. Why? Because it becomes a habit. Verse 9 of our scripture is pretty clear about that, and most of us wouldn't think that showing a little favoritism now and then is sinful, but God says it is. In fact, if we're willing to break that commandment, what else would we be willing to think or say that is, is really sinful? I mean, it, it's, it's gotten to the point that I don't know if, if, if we're making deals on our own psyche or, or, what, the, or what we're doing, because it certainly isn't coming from God. And I, I look at all these uh, Christian ideals that are popping up all over the place. And I think, explain that to me. Where'd you get that? Well, you know, I just feel, well, that's the problem. You're feeling. Don't. Now, I've said time and again, your feelings don't matter. They do, but not when it comes to what the law is and what it isn't. <laughs> and not what the Scripture says and what it doesn't. Or what it means and what it doesn't. Your feelings don't count. Mine don't count. Feelings have nothing to do with it. In fact, you'll find here that God was furious with King Saul for the same thing that we're doing today. Uh, God told Saul to go out and wipe out the Amalekites and every, everyone that was with them and not take anything. He came to Saul specifically and said, you're the new king. I, I didn't want a king in, in amongst my people, but they wanted one, so I gave them one. And I gave them you. I gave them the king that they would have chosen because the king I would have chosen, they wouldn't have liked. Now, later on, he does choose a king of his own. That's David. But he has to show the people that they're going to fail in what they want. And so he gives them Saul, who does fail, and here he fails again. So what does Saul do? Well, he sinned three times. He went and told the Kenites, who were living amongst the Melekites, that he's going to attack. And that he didn't want to destroy them along with them because they showed favoritism to the Israelites when they came through. But that wasn't up to Saul to decide or not. That's up to God to decide, not him. And God said, go down there, wipe them out, and everybody was with them. And don't take anything, neither. Okay? That's what God said. And so he sinned first by letting the Kenites get away, and they did. So they got out of there. Got out of Dodge. Okay? Second, Saul just couldn't see any sense in destroying all the livestock. I mean, good night. I understand, you know, killing all the, the lame and the, and the sick. That's one thing. But some of them are pretty good. Why would we want to do that? Because God says so. And God wants you to rely on him, not the livestock. And so what did Saul do? Well, he destroyed all the sick and the lame and the blemished livestock, but everything else, well, he kept it. And lastly, killing the men in the army was one thing, but Saul just couldn't bring himself to kill the women and children. In fact, he said to himself, what have they done? And what harm will they, will they be to anyone? And actually, we find out later that they caused a lot of harm. But more than that, God commanded these things to be done, and Saul didn't do it. In his human understanding, it just didn't make sense. And friends, I want to tell you something. There's going to be a lot of things in our human understanding that God says that don't make sense. We're doing the same thing, kind of things today that Saul did. Listen carefully at our human reasoning. But they love each other. How can it be so wrong if they're in a committed relationship and they're in love? You get my drift? But they're in love. 
God said no. You see, so here's what's happened. Christians advocate for sinful behavior that God has condemned, and they use the slogan, love wins. That's what we've done. Friends, love only wins when there's no sin. Because God determines what love is. We don't. He does. Isn't He the epitome of love? Isn't that why we're here in the first place? Isn't that why He redeemed us? Isn't it? You see, God sent His Son to die on the cross, and He did so to save us from our own sinfulness so that we can live in eternity with Him. And He did that, my friends, out of love. That's how love wins. When a sinner comes in from the cold, when a sinner moves in from a status of death unto life, that's when love wins. Amen? That's when love wins, okay? Love only wins when people stop their sinning, accept His offer, live a righteous and holy life, and be sinless, and then enter into heaven at the appropriate time. Because here's the bold-faced truth. It only takes one sin to be condemned. One unconfessed sin will condemn you. It doesn't matter what else you've done. People say, that can't be. What well, ain't up to you. God says it is. Acts 8, 18 to 23, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part of or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. So repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and a captive to sin. Did you grasp all that? You see, friend, Simon was a believer and he was a good man. But he didn't want to gain righteousness, power, and authority by allowing his heart to be completely changed and transformed over time by the Holy Spirit. In fact, he wanted to take a shortcut and buy a deeper level of Christianity, which you cannot do. And aren't people in the modern church doing the exact same thing today? People who don't serve or give up their time or get involved in the community, but they're willing to give money to missions. Isn't that the same thing? You think that because you give money to missions, that's all that God has for you to do? That absolves you of everything else? There are entire churches of people doing that today, and they've done nothing for the kingdom. What about people who are really good people? They're believers, they're churchgoers, Emmaus community members, but they refuse to condemn sinful activity. Hmm? What about that? And not only that, they accept it and then claim that God accepts it too simply because they misunderstand what He calls love. You understand that? Boy, they get furious with me when I call them on that. But like Peter, James, and John, here's what I have to tell them. You decide what I should do, listen to you or what God says. Because I'll make my choice every time. Because in the end, <laughs> I know who I serve and why. And he's the one that determines what I did or didn't do that was righteous, not them. Do I want love to win? Yes, I do. Love wins when a sinner comes to Christ. Amen? Paul said that these type of Christians aren't Christians at all because their Christianity isn't Christian. Galatians 1, 6 to 10, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Did you hear that? 
You're living a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and now I say again, if anybody is preaching you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. <laughs> if you're trying to please people, you're not going to be a servant of Christ. You know why? Because people want what they want. They want, they want to believe what they want to believe. Why? To do what they want to do. And here's what's going to happen, friends. When we want to believe something that isn't in the Scripture, then we're willing to compromise what we think the Scripture is. Okay, that's what we're willing to do. We're willing to compromise what we think the Scripture is or what the Scripture is saying so that we can appease others or not have to call them out or basically we want to live a certain way. But we, we, we have no right to that. God determines that. We don't. I wish it weren't so. I wish I could say, what do you think about this, God? And God would say, well, I don't care what you do. But it, it doesn't happen that way. It's never, at least it hasn't for me. And so I think, okay, so God, what do you want from me? And unfortunately, he always tells me. <laughs> you know, either it's going to be through the word of God or another person, maybe one of you, right? Because God seems to use righteous people to bring and get his message across, yeah? Anybody? He's done it for me over and over again. And I began to think about that, about these people, and I thought, okay, so you see, you're saying, God, that they're going to be condemned right beside the lost? Yeah, Jesus said so. Jesus said that these people who claim to be Christian but live a different gospel than what's in here, who won't condemn sin, who condone people living in sin and are afraid to say anything or just want to believe that God's not going to uh, condemn them. See, see, he's saying, wait a minute. They're going to be condemned right alongside the unbelievers. And we want to say, no, 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 no. And God's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And here's the reason I know it. Matthew 12, 36 to 37, but I tell you that everyone who will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've ever spoken. For by your words, you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Every empty word. Did you hear that? Jesus said, you will be condemned by every empty word. What's an empty word? You see, friends, accepting sinful activity and justifying it for any reason is an empty word because it's not true. It's false. That is an empty word, and they will indeed be condemned for it. Whew. Man, I'm telling you, it's warm in here, but I got goosebumps. Anybody? So I'm thinking, okay, hmm, I, 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 need, I need to make sure that people understand that God not accepting that. That's not legalism. That's not being a holy roller. That's truth, and it's right here. And I won't compromise it. I can't. And so if I know somebody that's in my sphere of influence that's a practicing homosexual, I've got something to do about it, and I've got to do it right now. You know, that they, if they choose not to listen, that's on them. You know, And that's not the only thing we're talking about here, but that's the biggest one we compromise because it's love, you see. You really want love to win? Really? Then take the rainbow out of it, put a, the cross in there, and, and bring somebody to Christ. Love wins. Amen? Okay. Number two, just one little sin isn't forgiven by faithful observance of all the rest of God's law. 
You see, should a murderer go free because of an otherwise exemplary life? Well, according to Ezekiel 18, they shouldn't. If a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits a sin, they will die for it. Because of the sin they've committed, they will die. Two things to consider with this one. One, yes, I know this is Old Testament. But the truth of the Old Testament still stands, my friends. Jesus didn't say He came to abolish the law nor the Old Testament, did He? If it wasn't necessary, why is it there? Okay? In fact, Jesus said He came to fulfill it, and He also taught righteousness and condemned sinfulness. Second, this is why Jesus came in the first place, so that we can accept Him, and when we fall into sin after being saved, we can realize that this is wrong. We can be sorry if we sinned. We can repent. We can turn from it. And then God will show us mercy. He will grant forgiveness. If we refuse then and keep sinning, even, even if it's just one sin, and, but we live an otherwise exemplary life, well, then we're going to be condemned for that one sin, period. That's real simple. The Bible indicates to me, and, and other times it's pretty point blank, <laughs> one unconfessed sin, one that you refuse to stop, one that you refuse to admit, will condemn you. And people say, that can't be. And when someone tells me, I'm trying, but I can't stop, why not? Why can't you stop sinning? If you couldn't stop sinning, Jesus wouldn't have told the, the woman at the well or the adulterous woman, stop your sinning. He wouldn't have told anybody, stop your sinning, if you really couldn't. Does it won't really stand in there better? Not can't, but won't. Friends, there's been an awful lot of sins that I had to stop, and I didn't really care to do it. But I, and I didn't until I got to the point that I knew I needed to and made a decision. I'll bet a lot of you, anybody in here can, can say that? Was it can or won't? It was, it was won't for me. It was won't. You see, God will not pass over a sin committed in a weak moment by an otherwise righteous person. Mark 10, 17 to 22, Jesus said, he said it in this way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments. Shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You will not give false testimony, you won't defraud, you will honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell these things I have kept since I was a boy. Or go, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Notice that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus knew that love wins when the man comes to him. Okay? And the man couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because those things that he had, the wealth that he had, it, that was what kept him from a full surrendering relationship with God. And he couldn't give it up. Because the things of this earth were more important to him than the things of heaven. Do you often wonder if the things of this earth are more important to a lot of Christians than the things of heaven? You ready to bring this home? Have you ever thought that maybe the things of this earth, situations, people, jobs, money, stuff, is more important to you than the kingdom of heaven is? Because I know in my life it has been. Man, oh man. It, it, it isn't hard to do, is it? 
this man did everything else right, but he couldn't give up his money. His money was keeping him from relationship with God. Do you know how many people in the church refuse to tithe? Why? Just a thought. And then Jesus commanded him to lose the money because that was what was, Jesus knew that that was the one thing that was keeping him, and the man, the man refused. He, would, he wouldn't obey the command of Christ. One thing, my friends, can keep us from total forgiveness, even if we're otherwise pretty good. Thirdly, just one little sin, if unforgiven, will condemn us in judgment. Did you know that? See, I, I know many people who don't believe this, neither do they want to believe that good people will be condemned. But all we have to do is remember that, that last scripture about the rich man, but there's more to it. First, we're all going to be judged in some manner. Did you know that? Everybody's going to be judged in some manner. Now, there's confusion by a lot of people that don't know the depth of the scripture about what judgment really is. Because the first thing people want to say is, don't judge me. You can't judge me. Well, that's false. Okay. That's false for a variety of reasons. Uh, if they read the scripture further, they'll find out that we're, we should be judging. But we shouldn't judge if we've got a plank in our eye, Right? Okay, you can't pull the speck out of your brother's eye if you've got a plank in yours. In other words, you should be judging, but God wants you to be righteous before you do it. And you can't determine whether someone goes to heaven or not, but you can judge sinfulness in their life, and you can judge the fruits or not, yes or no. In fact, we're to do that. But there are pastors out there that will tell you they, sh they shouldn't judge, and boy, I have my way with them when they say it too. And I always tell them, well, here, I pass the scripture, will show me in there where it says that. And when they go to that scripture, I go, uh -uh, go further. They always get this confused look on their face when they read it. Because God's saying a little bit more than that, okay? But here's the deal. I'm not going to get into that today. But here's the thing. We're all going to be judged in some manner. Romans 14, 10, listen to this. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. That's what Paul's saying. If you can't be the person that's going to stand clear before the judgment seat, then you ought not be judging. I understand that. No question. Now, will the judgments be different? Yes, they will. There's two judgments. The great white throne of judgment is different than the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know that? How many of you here knew that? Yeah. Okay. You see, there's a difference between forgiven sin and unforgiven sin, and that's the difference between the seats. Yeah? Unforgiven sin and forgiven sin. All right? Those who appear before the great white throne have unforgiven sin, and all of them will be condemned. Why? Because they didn't accept Christ, or if they did, they didn't live like they were commanded. Real simple. Revelation is clear. All right? Now, those who ex have accepted Christ are going to be judged differently. They weren't necessarily sinful, but they will be judged for the depth and the holiness of their Christianity. Did you know that? Okay? For 2 Corinthians 5.10, we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we've got to give an accounting, don't we? All of us do. And then we find we're going to be judged by the law of liberty. And that's what I was talking about earlier in our scripture. In verse 12, from the, in the New American Standard, it calls it the law of liberty, and that's what I was trying to tell you. And then again, we have Romans 2.16. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now, maybe you're like... What does that mean? Well, the Jews, my friends, could have kept the law of Moses, but they didn't. They could have kept it, but they didn't. And they were not excused when they failed it either. Okay? 
Deuteronomy 30, 14 in Romans 8, 3, listen to this. How much more so if we keep, keep the law of liberty? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart of that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So why does Paul say, thanks be to God? There's one reason. Because he knows what would happen to those who failed to keep the law of liberty. Be condemned. God, God, you know, the law of liberty is real simple. It's God's law. The law of liberty is God's law. Liberty means freedom, to set something free. And God's law sets you free. From what? Hell. Bondage. That's what. That's why it's called the law of liberty. See, we get this idea in our minds that somehow a law or rules or regulations is just going to, you know, uh, put like a blanket over us. It's going it's to uh, beat us down. It's going to put us into bondage. No. It liberates you. Henceforth, liberty. Liberation. It, it liberates you from the claws of Lucifer. Do you understand that? From the laws of, de of the devil. From the laws of those things that hold you in contempt. God sent His Son to release you from that, and he defeated Lucifer at the moment he did it. What a deal. Friends, because Jesus did that, because he broke the power of canceled sin and the, and the authority of Satan in your life, because of that, you can do it. Because of that, you can do it. There's no sin that you can't stop. None. Because when you say, I can't, what you're really saying is God can't. Or He won't. And I say, He already did. And yes, He can. Now, I don't know what sin you got lurking. I don't know what things that you're a slave to, but you don't have to be. It's up to you. And so, as we get ready to close this thing out, I want you to be thinking about that. i got one more point, but I want you to be thinking about this. I want you to be thinking of what holds you in bondage. What thing are you doing that you, you think you can't break? It isn't up to you. God has already done it for you. Just a matter of you saying, through God's power, I am and I will. Lastly, for those who listen, repent, and change, the mercy of God forgives us from the judgment of just one little sin. I don't want one little sin to hold me in bondage. Do you? First, the unbeliever. Titus 3, 5, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it doesn't matter how bad you are, where you've been, or how many times you've rejected Christ. God will indeed save you if you listen, repent, and change. Listen, repent, and change. Say it with me. Listen, repent, and change. Isn't that it? Every single one of us was an unbeliever until we weren't. <laughs> we were an unbeliever until we believed and went through the process, and God transformed us from death to life in an instant. <laughs> like that. What about the erring Christian? What about the backsliding Christian? What about this person? And maybe some of us today are in that category. Well, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 tells us the truth. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help us in the time of need. Friends, clearly, God has made a plan for us after salvation. See, He didn't get you saved and just leave you on your own. He has a plan for you. Plan for what? Plan for when you fail. A plan for when you fail. A plan for when we fail. And we all do, you know. Because He knows our weaknesses, but He still, even in spite of that, requires our obedience. When you fail, He still requires obedience. And aren't you glad when your parent or a teacher or someone in authority saw your potential and when you fell and screwed up, you know, gave you your punishment, picked you up, dusted you off, and then set you on the right path for another chance? Aren't you delighted for that? Because I am. And God wants to do the same with you, and He will if you let Him. But until you do that, you're with the ghost, not the sheep. You understand? That one little thing can keep you away. And if He returns, friends, it might. Don't let it. Fix it. You see, to obtain this mercy that He offers, we're going to have to be merciful. And let me explain to you why the church has screwed this up for so many years, okay? Matthew 5, 6, and 8, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they're going to be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, as we learned in our series, the Sermon on the Mount, remember that a few months ago? The words of Jesus and the Beatitudes have been misunderstood and misinterpreted for years. And I showed you several areas in, in those Beatitudes where they had. And this is one of them. My friends, we're going to go back to that. Notice that Jesus says, the merciful will be shown mercy. You agree with that? Because that's what he says. So if Jesus said it, I have to agree with him, yeah? Okay, the merciful will be shown mercy. But for years, what we've taught is that this happens when we're merciful to other people, but we've misunderstood what mercy really means. Mercy doesn't mean be nice to people or treat them well. It can, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Do I have your attention? Okay, are you writing this down? Because you probably should. You want to test me on it? Please do. Okay. Mercy means not con to condemn someone who deserves to be punished. That's what it means. Yeah? And the only way we can show mercy to others and receive mercy ourselves is to be obedient and then share the gospel with unbelievers. And then show them the error of their sinfulness and to call out sinfulness and sinfulness in other believers. Because if we don't, then both may end up on the wrong side of eternity, and we, are, we will ourselves, we ourselves may be right there with them, friends, because we didn't show mercy to them by trying to keep them out of hell, you see. That's what it means. That's what Jesus is talking about. You want to be merciful? Be merciful by showing someone that they got to be saved, that their need for a Savior, and then if someone is already saved or they think that they are, but they've still got the sin in their life, it's going to keep them out of, out of heaven if I come today. Okay, then you need to show them the error of their ways and show them the scripture that proves it and then, and then pray for them earnestly and continue working on them until they change. That's mercy. Because if you show that kind of mercy to somebody, he will show you mercy for yours. But if you won't show mercy by doing it and just going with the flow, how can you expect God to show you mercy for yours? Because that is sinful when you won't. God commanded you 
in Matthew 28 to teach them everything I've taught you. And if I won't teach them that what they're doing is sinful, then I'm not teaching them what Jesus taught me. And that means I'm disobedient. And that, friends, proves I will not be shown mercy. The church better get on the ball real quick because mercy means bringing people to Christ for eternity. And as our worship team comes, here's my question to you. If you're guilty of just one little sin, are you a sinner? Yeah, about that. And if you're a sinner, do you stand condemned? Does it matter what else you've done? Will it matter what else you've done? According to him, no. No. You see, an otherwise good life will not justify you. Your justification is in him by your obedience. Unless you repent, you will be condemned in judgment. And friends, I, I don't want anybody to be condemned in judgment. Jesus doesn't want anybody condemned in judgment. You don't want anybody condemned in judgment. And yet, when we allow sinfulness to go unchecked in our life or in the lives of others, that's exactly what we're doing. And then people get upset with this and say that we're legalistic. No, we're not legalistic. God does not compromise, and He's no respecter of persons. He never has been. And everything that He's ever done has been for one reason. That's to benefit His creation, not to hurt it. You see... We find in the Old Testament, for I, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans. Not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. I want that. And I want to meet my Christ when the day comes. And I don't know when it's going to be, but I, I, whether I'm in the grave and rise from that, or He comes while I'm still here. But I'll tell you this. I want him to rise and smile, reach out, and not be looking around me to the person behind me because I didn't. I want him to rise and smile, take my hand and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Herein lies your reward. Sit here. Anybody? That's what I want to receive. And you know what? Everybody in here can have it today. It's up to you.